Hello everyone and welcome to episode 102 of the Talking Fitball podcast. My name's Derek Clark and every week we try and bring you an in-depth interview with some of the most interesting and colourful characters involved in the game. This week we're in for a treat as I had the pleasure of chatting to Kilmarnock legend Mark Riley. He's in great form as he relives his career in football. We hear about his early days at Motherwell under Tommy McLean before his move to Rugby Park where he's best remembered. We hear about the promotion winning season, Scottish Cup glory in 97, a raft of Tommy Burns stories and hilarious tales involving the likes of Ali McCoyst. He also tells us about his ill-fated spell at Reading, playing for St Johnston under former teammate Billy Stark and winning promotion with St Mirren. As well as all that, Mavis tells us about his upcoming 100-mile fundraising run. I'll pop the link to his Just Giving page in the bio, so please donate if you can. Without much further ado, it's time to sit back and enjoy the latest episodes of the Talking Fitball podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Talking Fitball podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to say we're joined on the line this week by Kilmarnock legend, the one and only Mark Riley. Mark, thank you very much for coming on. No problem, Derek. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great to have you on there, Mark. Um, looking back at the, the career, a, a tremendous career you had in, in the game, long and distinguished. Um, looking back all the way, uh, you were born back in uh, Bells Hill 1969, always kicking a ball around. Oh, yeah, definitely. Derek, there was no technology back then. So from as young as I can remember, all I can remember doing is, is going out with a ball, playing football. Um, back then, out in the streets, you don't see kids playing in the streets now for well, various reasons. Obviously, there are too many cars now as well. But yeah, as young as I can remember, Derek, I had a ball and out playing with my pals. And if I'd nobody to play with, I'd just play myself, just play keepy up here, hitting off the garage. Yeah, yeah, I know those are the days. You're right, you don't really see that anymore. It's, it's, it's sad to see, isn't it? It's... No, definitely. And it was a case of just in from school, out playing football. Yeah. Mum would shout you in for dinner. You'd eat dinner as quick as you could. Back out again till it was dark. <laughs> and then back in again. That was the day. It was great. <laughs> I those are the days. Um, did you follow anybody? Did you, did you have a team back then? Yeah, I used to go and my dad was a Celtic fan, Derek. Yeah. So before I kind of played boys club when I was young, my dad used to take me to Celtic games. Yeah. So we go to all the kind of home games at Parkhead. Never really went to many away games, but we certainly went to all the home games. Yeah, and was there any players that you admired, you, you looked up to, you, you tried to be like? Uh, not so much tried to be like, but certainly there were so many great players in that era back then. Yeah. Um, probably my favourite player was this year, Danny McGrain, possibly. Yeah. I love yeah. Danny. Danny was, Danny was a great player, great defender, great going forward. There were so many. I loved David Proven because he used to wear his socks at his ankles and that was unusual. <laughs> yeah. And then Charlie Nicholas came on the scene. Um, ah, there were so many talented players back then. Yeah, there certainly was. And but I guess before Motherwell sort of picked you up, Mark, were you playing for boys clubs in the school and that sort of stuff? Yeah, I went to St. Gerard's Primary School. We had a, a good football team. We did well, won most of the Cups and then I went on to Cardinal Newman Secondary, played in the football team there. Um, boys club-wise, played with St Columbus Boys Club, which was quite a famous boys club in, in View Park, yeah. and then Thornywood Boys Club later on. So, yeah, it was always like playing with the school in the morning, boys club in the afternoon. So, no, it was yeah. great, great times. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so, Motherwell then, what did they just send a scout to cover? Were you looking at you then and, and, and ask you over to, to trials or something like that? Yeah, I think it was, Derek, if I, my memory goes back as far <laughs> as that. Yeah, I must have probably been about 11, 12 at the time. Um, yeah. I, don't, I can't remember, actually, if it was the school or the boys' club. But I can remember um, it was a scout by the name of Alistair Stevenson. Yeah. who worked at Motherwell, he worked at Rangers. I believe he's still at St. Johnson now, possibly uh-huh. head of the academy there. So it was Alistair took me in and training with Motherwell. I had the opportunity to train at Celtic as well. But I ended up signing back then schoolboy forums with Motherwell. Yeah. Um, and, and was just training a few times a week with Motherwell and it went from there. Yeah. So no, it, it was good. He, 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 was, he was great. And he's, as I say, he's still involved in the game, which is great to, great to yeah. see all those many years later. Yeah, absolutely. Then um, coming through the ranks in at Motherwell, would you do all this sort of apprentice stuff, cleaning boots and all that sort of stuff? Oh, we did. It was back then. It was old, the old terraces with the old um, yeah. barriers. I remember yeah. even in the summer, come in, I left school. I think it was 1985. I left school and joined Motherwell, joined the ground staff, and we were in and it was sweeping all the all the steps. We we're actually painting all the the barriers and the old terraces as well, and. Oh. Cleaning. I remember every Friday was was cleaning the the seats and the stand as well before the game. And then obviously cleaning boots and cleaning dressing rooms. And yeah, it was all part of it back then. Yeah. I don't think the kids now have to do that, but I th- I thought it was a great thing. You know, it certainly helped and um, made you appreciate things. Yeah, the, the manager would have, would have been Tommy McLean, wouldn't it? Back is, is that right? Back then when you were you were there. It was we Tommy was a was a manager back then, yeah. Mm. Big Tam for Scythe, who's yeah. sadly no longer with us. He's he's number two. Yeah. But what was he like? We had uh, John Philbin on recently and asked him about him. They said he had a love to hate, uh, love to hate re- relationship. They love to hate each other. <laughs> yeah, no. I listened to to Softies. It, it was really good. Yeah. I kind of digressing slightly, but I remember Billy Billy Stark telling me stories about Alex Ferguson. When he was at St. Mirren in Aberdeen under him, and yeah. he would go off the park at half time, maybe three now up, maybe even scored a few goals, and he would be thinking, What did I do wrong here? I hope I don't get pelters. Hope the manager, I wonder if he's going to give me it tight. Yeah. And I kind of related to that because that was the way I felt with, with Tommy. He was yeah. he was a very, very good coach, very knowledgeable. Um, but back then, old school management, you know, very hard on everybody or most people and I think that's just the way it was back then I don't think that was unique or unusual I think there was probably quite a lot of managers like that that yeah. type of management you know you can think of Alec Ferguson's your Jim McLean's and and I think we told maybe certainly from that out he wasn't a big man in terms of physically but he had a presence about him and I can remember there's a guy Cammy Murray used to take the reserves and Cammy was the opposite Cammy was really kind of Gentle and laid back, and back then the reserve games when the first team were playing on the Saturday. So, for example, if Motherwell played Celtic at Parkhead, reserve team would play at yeah. Park. That was the way it worked, and yeah. you were certainly more relaxed. But if it was a midweek reserve game, and, and Tommy was there, the manager was there, you were certainly you felt that tension, you know, and coming yeah. off the pitch at half time and full time, and just praying that you know you're not going to get pelters. For your performance, but again, looking back, you know, it, it, it was certainly a great education because he was he was very knowledgeable in the game and yeah, very good coach. 
Yeah. Can, you, can you remember making your, your debut there, Mark? You know, for a while, I've, I've not got the best memory, Derek. I actually yeah. thought I'd made my debut against Indy United at Fat Park. I actually think it was a week before uh, Easter Road. I can remember I played against Hibs and I played against Dundee United. But I believe my debut was at Easter Road the week before. I think we lost 3-2. Can't remember much about the game other than I remember I got a phone call on a Friday evening from um, me, Tommy, basically saying to get ready. I was playing tomorrow. I can't remember if somebody had been injured and he spoke to Cam and I'd been doing well in the reserves and they thought, either give you an opportunity now or I don't. So you're going to get your, your opportunity so make sure you're, you're ready to go tomorrow. So it was totally unexpected out of the blue. Can't remember much about the game. I can remember I was playing against Mickey Weir, who was a ah, yeah. right winger at, at Habs. And I did okay. I did okay. I think we got beat 3 2. I think Nick Cusack scored. Uh-huh. But the great thing for me was I had David Cooper playing in front of me. So I think the opposition were more concerned about him than trying to exploit <laughs> the uh, uh, fullback. So that certainly helped. It's all I had to do is when I got the balls roll it to him and, and he kept it for about 10, 15 minutes and, and did his <laughs> magic. So. That uh-huh. certainly helped me a lot. And I think inside me I had big Tam McAdam, who was centre back. Yeah. And he was he was an experienced player, so he was a good help to me as well. Yeah. What was what was David Cooper like just to sort of learn from Mark and all that, like going into training and seeing him? Because I mean the folk that we speak to that that that, that played with him just they see he was just an, an absolute uh, god with the ball. He's just unbelievable. Yeah, no, it, it was it was it, it was incredible. Never got to mingle as much with them because we obviously two dressing rooms at Fir Park and the first yeah. team get kind of dressed in the, the home dressing room and the reserve players and the, the younger boys like myself in the away dressing room obviously training now and again looking back he was he was fairly he was a fairly quiet guy yeah. um, but he, he was a nice guy but in terms of a footballer I mean obviously his best days were at Rangers and they must have been incredible at Rangers because certainly at, at Motherwell and I think sometimes in your career you don't appreciate how good players are until you train with them on a daily basis. And I think people like maybe Ian Durant was the same canal, Tommy Burns. Um, certainly David Cooper was incredible. You know, he just he had a, a wand of a left foot. Yeah. Um, he was really strong as well. Um, interestingly, he wasn't the quickest, wasn't lightning quick, but he was yeah. strong and just a great football intelligence and an incredible um Left, left peg and they had, a, they had an aura about him in the pitch as well I think it came with that, that ability Yeah Phil O'Donnell would have been coming through at that point as well wouldn't he Mark would he be a young boy then how Yeah good, Phil good, was. Was Yeah Phil really kind of burst on the scene um, again really really nice lad quiet lad Yeah um, really good footballer the thing I can remember about Phil physically for his age he was he, he was powerful runner he was really dynamic uh-huh. Um so beyond his years physically, I think at that point as well, which certainly helped him as a young a young boy coming in and, and playing first team football. But no, he was a he was a great talent. Yeah. Uh, the nickname Mavis, where, where does that come from? Oh, Mavis, it was I'd signed with Kilmarnock and I wasn't there that long. I think we were in the dressing room one day and I think a few of them, Jim Fleet was the manager. Ah, yeah. I think he said we, we need a we need a nickname for Mark Riley. He's not got a nickname, I'm not calling him Mark. <laughs> I think it was a big centre back, Paul Flexney. Said, "Why, why don't we call him Mavis? So, why Mavis? They couldn't think of anything. It was, 
it was ridiculous. It was, well, at the time, Coronation Street, there was only a few channels on the TV. So it says, well, the character Mavis Riley from Coronation Street, and it was as bad as that, but for some reason, it, it was just one of those nicknames that since that day, just, it just stuck. Yeah. Um, and everybody calls me Mavis. Every, I'm known as Mavis, and even my wife. He's uh, got my, my name on her phone is Mavis. Um, <laughs> so probably now, and I'm working now, and I'm away from the football, and people don't know me, they call me Mark, but yeah. anybody related to football or MD for years ago um, refers to me as Mavis. <laughs> it's just a name that's stuck. <laughs> that's brilliant. So yeah, you joined Kilmarnock then. What, what was it, the, the reason behind that move then, Mark? Was it just to, and they were in the, the, the old first division at that point, was to get, get game time? Yeah, um, I was getting really frustrated, Derek. Going way back, even as a kid, talking about growing up, I was always a midfield player. Yeah. But I think what happened, it came with the trials for the Scotland schoolboys under 15s. And I think it was maybe Alistair, the, the mother was scout that we spoke yeah. about, had said to me, listen, there's going to have a lot of competition. When you go for the trials, why don't you play uh, left back instead of midfield? So that's what happened. And again, the schoolboy team is a, a left back. And I was sort of kind of pigeonholed then as a left back. So when I left school, I went to Mother and I played in the reserves and Tommy McLean played me as a left back. But to be honest, I was I didn't have the attributes to play left back at that level. I wasn't yeah. wasn't good enough to play left back, to be honest. And there was far yeah. better players in front of me. Like, you know, we'd throw backs at the time with Tom Boyd, uh, Fraser Wisher. Yeah. But you know, I, I lacked certain attributes to play at that level, I think, at full back. Uh-huh. And I kind of knew that myself and I was getting frustrated. So I just wanted to go and play first-team football because I had been at Motherwell since 85 and I think that was 91 when they won the Cup and I'd only played yeah. a handful of games. Um, and I really wanted to to try and play first-team football um, and it was just really a frustration. So I'd spoke to Tommy McLean. He was great with me. He yeah. understood. Um, back then there was, there was no agents and... He was really good to him. He said, listen, he says, I'll let you go. He said, see if you don't get a club that suits you. He says, there's another year's contract here for you so you can come back. So he, he, was, he was more than fair. And I think he actually spoke to Jim Fleeton eh, on my behalf. And I just got a phone call from Jim Fleeton, went and spoke to him and signed with Kilmarnock. The frustrating thing was I went to Kilmarnock and then got played at left back again. So initially, <laughs> so... The frustrations were still there, and it probably wasn't to, to Tommy Burns um, became yeah. the manager. Uh, I got the opportunity to play midfield, yeah. which so that so that was the, the reason I ended up leaving. Well, it was just really frustration and, and trying to play first team football. Yeah, and you mentioned there Tommy Burns. I mean, he was still player manager player manager there at the time. You must have did you learn a lot for him, Mark? <laughs> uh, I'm laughing. I've got so many. Memories <laughs> of Tommy Burns, we could speak all night about him. I think MD speak to, you know, he touches our life in a, a positive and unique way. He was without doubt the big, biggest influence in my career. Yeah. Um, incredible, funny guy, passionate guy, winner, you know, humble, really nice person, but he had that fiery side to him as yeah. well. You know, as a player, I can remember playing with him and I think I was actually playing left back, you know, and he'd be playing in front of you. I can remember one day, I think we played Morton, and I think I broke broke up the park and he was shouting for the ball inside. He used to always call you boy. Hey, boy, boy, give me the ball. <laughs> and I think I played in a striker and it broke down and they attacked down the opposite side of the park. And I can remember just my head saying, right, I need to get back into position. So I'm running 
from one end of the pitch to the other to get back into the left-back position. And he's not watching the game. He's actually chasing me all the way back, shouting at me, clipping me over the over the head. See, when I shout for the ball, boy, you just give me it. Do you hear me? <laughs> and that was just time. It was like that. Um, but incredible footballer. Yeah. Really, really talented footballer. Learned so much from him in terms of how to look after yourself and, and prepare. There was no sports science then. And, yeah. You know, I used to watch him and he used to do a real running warm-up. So it was no easy build-up into a warm-up. It was a real, real hard warm-up. Your training session started for your warm-up. And he actually used to run harder in the warm-up than he did in the game because he gave yeah. it full pelt. And I kind of took that kind of mindset laterally into my career when I would take the warm-ups at St Mirren, etc. And I knew the boys hated it, but I knew the importance of um, a good warm up back then. Um, so we things like that. But there's, there's so many stories I could yeah. I could tell about Tom. He was a real he, he was a real uh, character. He really yeah. was. And as I say, without doubt, the biggest influence in my career. Because again, I was going through the motions there. I could come on playing left back in and out. And again, there was a frustration. I think there was a frustration with me because I knew I wasn't good enough as a fullback, and I had always yeah. been a midfield player. And he pulled me one day and he said, listen, by this time he was a manager, he says, you're not a fullback. I'm going to give you the opportunity to play in the middle of the park. He says, I think you've got attributes to play in there. He said, but I want you to be honest with me. He says, I want you to go home, look yourself in the mirror tonight and come back in and tell me in the morning if you want to be a footballer. He could say, oh. don't waste your time and don't waste my time. Um, and that was a kind of light bulb moment for me. I actually yeah. did go home and I had to think that night. I thought, he's right, I'm actually going through the motions here. Yeah. And I think part of that was the frustration we'd spoke about. And I went in the next day and I said, Gaffer, I want to be a footballer. I want to be a footballer, Tom, definitely. Yeah. He said, right. He said, well, these are the attributes you've got. You need to get yourself really fit. You're aggressive, getting about people. Keep it simple and we'll go for there. He says, you need to do that day in, day out. He says, see, once you're doing that, he says, you need to do it week in, week in, and month in, month out, and then yeah. year in, year out. He says, see, when you're doing that, he says, you're doing okay then. So we things like that, he was great. And he used to always say, see me, see me up in the morning, look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm going to do my best today. Um, and then before you go to bed at night, look yourself in that mirror again and be honest with yourself. Did you do your best? You'll have good days, you'll have bad days. Um, he says, but that's the way to approach. And I actually physically did that for a few months. He used to go up in the morning and look in the mirror. Um, <laughs> but those, those good habits through my career for that... That was a light bulb moment from it for for me then, um, yeah. and from then going forward, I really kind of changed my my mental outlook towards the game, and I, I treated every day like a World Cup final um, to the day I retired. And for that moment onwards, I, you know, you'd like to do better at times, but I had no regrets, yeah. um, and I certainly owe all that to to Tam. You know, he was yeah. out a huge influence. Yeah, he was an absolute legend and um, sadly missed it. Billy Stark was there as well, wasn't he? What a player he is to learn from. Billy Stark was was absolutely brilliant and he was a great foil for Tam. Yeah. Because Tam, Tam was so passionate, fiery, um, very impulsive, whereas Billy was the opposite. Billy was very calm, measured, yeah. um, very intelligent. I'm not saying Tam wasn't. Tam had a very good knowledge of the game. But... When Billy spoke to you, it really kind of made sense, and it was all oh, that, that's you know that's that's spot on. He's he's so right with that. Yeah. Um, so he was again great guy, 
brilliant coach, but as a player, um, he was a fantastic player, even at times in, I think, the 94 season. I mean, obviously, he was known as a kind of right midfield player, yeah. posting in and getting goals, but he played centre-back for us at times as well. Yeah. So, you know, real intelligent footballer, and obviously, he was, he was well at the end of his career at that point, but yeah, he was, he was different class. Yeah. And I was fortunate yeah. enough to play under him at St. Johnson as well. Yeah. Um, no, he was brilliant. And I say a great foil for Tam. Yeah, he was some player. Um, you'd have played at the, 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 the old style rugby park and the new one. But what, uh, did, you, did you prefer one to the other, Mark? Or how, how did you find them both? Because they're both sort of it's the same place, obviously, but it's different sort of uh, uh, landscape and looks and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think the old rugby park had... Uh, it was always well known back then for the surface. It was one of the better surfaces in the country, and the surface was great. The old terracing um, was great. It was great for atmosphere when it was when there was a good crowd there. It was full. Yeah. Um, it was absolutely brilliant. But I suppose like the clubs have got to move on at some point. I've got to, you know, kind of go with the times and improve the stadiums. And I think the the new rugby parks um, fantastic. It's a great stadium. Mm-hmm. The only Thing I'm glad that I'm not playing nowadays is the Astra Tough pitch. I certainly yeah. I, I, I couldn't play in that. I must admit, I'm, I'm not a fan of Astra Tough. I believe it's got its purpose. I understand why clubs do it now for financial reasons, etc. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's only my opinion. I think top flight football shouldn't be played in Astra Tough. I think it's fine for training, it's fine for kids, but I think it's a different game in the Astra Tough. I'm not a fan of it, so I certainly am glad it wasn't Astra Turf when I was playing. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same. There shouldn't be anywhere near the top flight, I don't think. Um, you, you would have played, came up against Air United. What was it? Can you remember much about the derbies? Quite feisty. Yeah, no, they were. There was a big, um, obviously a big rivalry um, in Ayrshire. Ayrshire people being the way they are, you know, they're yeah. a dislike for, for each other. And, um a bit mixed. I can remember beating them in, in the, the Scottish Cup at Rugby Park, but we also struggled against them and latterly in some of the cup competitions after that, the Scottish Cup, the beaters at yeah. Somerset. So, yeah, kind of mixed, but no, they were great atmospheres and they're the best games to play in when there's a, when there's a good atmosphere. So, no, they were certainly feisty. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, you, you get promotion in 92-93 and then the, the following season... Uh, you stay up, and it was was it, was it quite nerve wracking? Oh, you beat Rangers. Was it the uh, last game at the, the old ground before it sort of get demolished? You beat them one 0 Can you remember much about about that game and, and that season about staying up at the at the end? Yeah, that was a. I still believe that was a monumental season in terms of Kilmarnock where they are today. Yeah. In terms of, I mean, people always ask me about the cup final. Um, was that the most important game? It's it's probably the best memory in terms of winning the cup. I still think the most important game was that last day at Easter Road to stay in the league because I think if Kamal could have got relegated that season when it was our first season in the league, it would have been difficult to, to build and get back up again. And who knows where the club would have been. So that was really important. It was a it was an incredible season because we knew it was there was league reconstruction that year, so we yeah. knew that three clubs were getting relegated out of twelve. So, I mean, we were obviously a new club in the in the top division at that yeah. time, and and um, we, we had an eventful season. We had, a, we had a good season. We played some good stuff at times. Tam Tam had as well drilled in terms of we all knew what we were doing. We 
there was a reputation for the dad's army. We, we obviously had players like George McCluskey who were coming to the end and great experience. Yeah. Um, but we also had some really fit boys as well. And we played a high pressing game. Um, so we were really kind of dynamic and energetic and getting about teams. And we kind of played that the full season and had some really good moments. Like the, I think the, the Scottish Cup semi-final that year, I think we got to a replay with Rangers. Yeah. And we were kind of really unfortunate um, over the two games we possibly could have and should have got to the final that year. I think the, yeah. the replay, um, Rangers got a goal that I think Mark Caitlin, I don't think it was over the line. Yeah. Um, so some great moments and funny, I'm digressing slightly before I go to the, the last game, but kind of funny stories that, that year we with Tam as well, you know, he, he was a crack character talking about that semi-final. I can remember, I believe he went to kind of Seamill um, before, the, before the game, stayed overnight and I used to room with Big George McCluskey. And Big George and Tam were best pals for their, their time at Celtic. Yeah. So I think it must have been about half 12 at night and the phones went and George has answered the phone and I'm kind of half dozing off and he says, maybe uh, we all called him Gaffer at that one. Tam was a teammate prior to that. Obviously, they gave him respect and called him Gaffer. But George used to always call him Tam. He's like, Mavis, it's Tam on the phone. He wants to speak to you. He's in room, whatever. You have to go and see yeah. him. And right away, I'm thinking, I'm looking at my watch. I'm thinking, it's half 12. Come up. It's come up with 25 to 1 in the morning, night before semi-final. And I'm thinking, must must be something wrong. And I'm, and I'm thinking, I'm walking along his room. I'm thinking... Like, it can't be dropping me. I says, if you could tell me this time, you just tell me the next day. And then things are going through your head. There's something happened yeah. with the family. There's yeah. just a phone call. You know, you're thinking the worst. So walks into the room and Tam's sitting and he's got the board up with the teams on it. And he's like, right, sit down, Mavis. And I sit down and I'm looking at him. And he says, right, this is the way we're playing tomorrow. And he starts going through the team. And I'm saying, is that a gaffer? He's like, what do you mean? I says, I thought there was something wrong. I says, it's 2 to 1 in the morning. He went, he says, I know. He says, but I can't sleep. <laughs> and that, that was just Tam. You know, he was he was kind of off the cuff. Um, it was certainly different. Yeah. I can remember that that was, just, that was the semi-final. And then the <laughs> the, the two, two buses have, have kind of drew up alongside each other. Um at the game and I think the police had held the buses on the two buses were kind of side by side and they were like that for for quite a bit you know and their bus was obviously silent there was a wee bit kind of nerves and you could see the Rangers bus looked relaxed they were all sitting playing cards at the tables and we had big Al McAnally at the time who again was big character a massive character and I think he could feel the tension you know and so he's trying to lighten up so he's took his suit jacket off and he's he used to always refer to himself as Big Jake for the München. You know, it was funny. He was, he was really so he used to have a Versace suit on and he's got the suit, suit label against the window and he's battering the window at the Rangers team at Hatley and he's pointing, he's shouting, Big Jake played for the München and only wears one off Versace. So that kind of lightened the kind of tension a bit. And then at that point, Tam stood up at the front of the bus and we've got directors and everybody in the bus racing. This inspirational team talk at the front of the bus about... We're not here to make up numbers and walk out of that pitch with your head, head tail tie. And then he eventually sits down and he looks up the back of the bus again and shouts, Mavis, come here. 
So I gets down the front of the bus, she says, sit down, so I sits beside him. So then starts the chat with me as well about, listen, me Rangers need to know they're, they're in a game here. He says, I need, I need you to be sensible. He said, but I need you to start a fight in the first five minutes in the middle of the pitch. <laughs> he says, smash Stuart McCall or somebody if you can, so that they know they're in a game. He said, just have a fight or something. He says, just so they know they're in the game. And that, that was just time. He was kind of he was kind of off the wall, you know, he was different. Um, <laughs> but oh, what a character he was, he was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so going back, going back to the the question that you asked about the about the game at the second last game of the season. I think Rangers had won the league by that point. Yeah. Um, and obviously it was a big game for us. And yeah, yeah there was definitely tension there. Fantastic Kilmarnock crowd and you could just feel the tension. Yeah. Can't remember too much about the game. The only kind of things I can remember is Andy Millen, which was unusual. I think Billy Stark put him through um, with the goal that he beat and he just slid it by the post. Yeah, and then I can remember Tam Black scoring with the with a free kick quite late on, and with to hold on, so that put us in a great position to to go to the last game at Easter Road, which yeah. was um, which was great. As I say, with a lot of lot of big characters in there, you know, with obviously Tam, with George McCluskey, you know, even guys who maybe hadn't played Premier League for that great length of time, but were but were big. Big characters, you know, with Jamie Montgomery, Andy Millen. Yeah. Um, you know, with, with a lot of strong characters. And, and back to Big Al McAnally, another kind of funny story. Mm-hmm. Um, Tam decided to take us away the night before the, the game at Easter Road. Uh, I think he took us to a hotel in North Berwick. And he, he said to us the night, the night before, listen, I want everybody up for breakfast. I want us to eat as a, as a team, have our breakfast together as a team. Uh, a lot of us um, so that was fine he says I want everybody down for half eight he says we'll have a wee walk a wee listener and he says I'll kind of name my team he says it's a big game so um, get a good night's sleep so we all got up at half eight and uh, we're all down at breakfast and I can remember big big Al McAnally who was always life and soul and always blethering yapping away he was sitting at the head of the table and I can remember looking and he had the Biggest full English breakfast I've ever <laughs> saw. It was about three plates in the one plate. It was huge. And for once, he wasn't talking. He was just eating away. And I can remember I was sitting next to Tam. And I can remember looking at me, this wee tiny bowl of muesli. And he was taking like a, a sip of it. And he couldn't eat it. And he was sitting back in his chair and he's making noises going... He's breathing deeply. And eventually I looked and I, I said, Gaffer, are you all right? And he said, oh, he says, I've no slip a wink. He says, honestly, he says, I've played in big game, played in Scotland internationalist, yeah. played in international games, cup finals for Celtic. He says, I couldn't sleep a wink last night. He says, I've just bagged nerves this game. He says, it's no <laughs> like me. He says, just, just like that, we heard the knife and fork getting banged in the table. So it was Big Jake at the head of the table. <laughs> he says, I remember when Big Jake played for the München European Cup semi-final against AC Milan two hours before kickoff, had a full English breakfast like this. I went out and destroyed Franco Baresi. So right away, everybody's laughing. So that kind of lightened the mood again. So it was great, Derek, with, with a lot of big characters. So yeah. we went into the game fairly, considering what was at stake, um, fairly relaxed. We, you know, we had a bit of belief. And I think, although the game finished 0-0, we were... 
we certainly weren't hanging on in the game. I think we were the team that was pressing and probably should have won the game. So, no, it was a it was a great season with some great memories. Yeah, you're right. I think it's a momentous um, season for the club to stay up because I mean, they've been up ever since. And, and it's, it's huge for them, isn't it? And you mentioned some of the, the characters there. You'd have played alongside uh, John Henry. Uh, we had him on, I think, I think it's a couple of years ago now. He was one of the first guests. What, what was he like to play with? Zippy, yeah, Zippy was a was a great lad, really talented football player. Um, yeah. a great ability, really, really creative footballer. So no, he was a um, was a very very good footballer. I think it was maybe Alec Totten that signed him. Yeah, uh, I'm not quite sure, but he came in and, and certainly added to to the team. Maybe gave us something that at that time we we didn't have that little bit of creativity for the for the middle of the park. Something yeah. different. No, he, he was a very good footballer, John. Yeah, and. Talking about characters, Dylan Kerr joined as well. What, what, what was he like? Dylan, <laughs> Dylan was a, a Dylan was certainly a character. Dylan, <laughs> Dylan probably played the way his personality is. He's a really kind of bubbly, yeah, enthusiastic um, personality, really likable guy, and he played that way as well. He would obviously yeah. had some bad injuries um, early on at Reading and. He come through them, and he did a great job for Kilmarnock. Real really enthusiastic as a player as well, going forwards. Um, love to get forwards, and uh, yeah, no, he was yeah. he, he was certainly a character. Really a big fan's favourite. Really, can kind I of live locally? I think I lived yeah. in Troon, and really kind of integrated himself in the, in the community and the Kelly fans. And no, he was he was a big favourite. Yeah, see, we, see, we touched on your game against Rangers. Did you enjoy coming up against the old fun Mark? Is, it, did, is that something you relished? Yeah, I loved it, Derek. I loved um, loved testing myself against the the best players, and I used yeah. to get the job. Uh, certainly, when when Gascoigne was there, yeah. man Martin Gascoigne, or man Martin Maravchek at Celtic. And prior to that, playing against Paul McStay, who's a fantastic player. So, yeah. no, I, I, I love playing against the old firm. That, that's that's why you you were a football player to play those big games. You know, it was and test yourself. They were great. Yeah. How good was Gascoigne? Did, did they try and noise you up during the game? Uh, Gascoigne was was incredible. Um, back then, you could obviously get away with tackling. So, yeah. I always knew with Gascoigne, always tried to, let's just say, the first chance I got to let them know that I was there, maybe yeah. follow through slightly without hurting <laughs> them, um, let them know he was in for a game. And I, I always knew by his reaction, whether it was going to be a tough day for me, because I knew if he ignored me, um, he was really kind of switched on and he was really at it. Yeah. Whereas if he was opposite, I mean, one night, for example, at uh, Ibrox, it was a midweek game. I think we eventually lost 4-2. Um, early on, I first chance I got a tackle and I kind of let him know I was there, so to speak. Yeah. And he jumped up and the ball was quickly went down the left wing and he's jumped up and he's punched me. Um, and then the game's still going on, and he's just ran up and he's volleyed me. To, he's looked at the two linesmen, the referee, nobody's looking. He's just volleyed my legs away from me. So I'm, I'm lying in the ground. And then he come up to me and he'd apologise. And then two minutes later, he's up and he's in my face again. And then the Rangers got a penalty. And I can remember saying to him, You're going to miss this. Yeah. And he did, he missed it. He came <laughs> back to me and he's talking to me. He said, I can't believe I missed that. And I'm saying, That's because you're hopeless. And I knew when I had him in that kind of frame, he, he was. Yeah. Let's just say he was a wee bit distracted, but when yeah. he was on it, he was oh, 
he was incredible. He was he had everything. He was he was powerful, right foot, left foot. If you went to his right side, he'd move the ball to his left side and just put that arm out and hold you off. And he could run it run at pace with the ball. He was he was incredible. Probably probably the most talented player I played against. He was incredible. Yeah, sensational, wasn't he? See when uh, Tommy oh, left for, see when Tommy left for Celtic, Mark. Were, were you sad to see him go? I'd imagine. Oh, we were devastated to die because yeah. it, at that point, I mean, I think he was obviously a big Celtic man and I think when the opportunity came up, he, he couldn't yeah. turn it down. I think in an ideal world, it probably came too soon for him. And certainly, I think came too soon for Kilmarnock because I think we were just we were just building. He was just building a, a team then and a, and a club and a, a kind of mindset and even a philosophy in terms of the way he wanted to play. And I think he obviously had that high-pressing game in mind, but I think he would have looked to maybe add a bit of quality to that yeah. as well, to maybe improve as the season went on. But obviously that, that never happened. I can remember taking a phone call from Billy, Billy Stark phone me just to make me aware that they were leaving um, for Celtic and we were, uh, we were devastated, I think. Not just myself, I think everybody at the, at the club at that point was really, really disappointed to lose them. Yeah, of course. Uh, Alec Totten would, would come in and, and take over. Was he a bit a bit different in the, his outlook and that sort of stuff to to Tommy? Uh, did, did you enjoy playing under Alec? Um, if I'm being honest, I didn't enjoy playing under Alec as much as I did Tommy. I think the high pressing game and the fitness and getting about people um, really suited me. Yeah. Alec came in and obviously had his own ideas he wanted to build his own team his own, his own kind of philosophy and Alec was very much um, it was kind of total football just play football so there wasn't so much emphasis on the the shape of the team it was yeah. it was basically we'll just go and play and allow play teams the one thing I will, Alec was a really nice guy and the one thing I will say he was very good at I think he was very good at as you touch, touched on earlier with John Henry, I think Alec was very good at identifying good footballers. Yeah. And I think a lot of the signings he made, for example, I think he brought in Kevin McGowan and Paul Wright, you know, he had a real eye for a player. But there wasn't the same emphasis on this kind of shape of the team. And I think the philosophy was we'll just go and we'll, out, we'll basically outplay teams. Yeah. And I don't think we, we had evolved enough at that stage to be able to do that successfully yeah. um, I think if there was maybe a wee bit of a mixture and I think maybe that's what Bobby brought in when he came in yeah. where we would still work on the shape of the team defensively but he brought in you know guys like Geran, we had Cocard so if we put, yeah. we're in possession we were allowed to go and express ourselves but there was still that balance when we didn't have the ball. We all knew what we were doing and we'd work on the back four every week or every other day. Um, so he kind of brought in that wee balance, whereas I think Alex's philosophy was, we'll just go and play. Yeah. Um, the cup final then, Mark, can you, what, what's, what's your memories of the build-up to that? And could, could you take it all in when when you're at Ibrooks? Is it one of those that just, does it, does it pass you by or can you, can you soak it up? Um... Yeah, I, th- I think the actual game, I think a lot of games kind of pass you by. Um, and there's certain things you'll remember. I remember, obviously, the build-up. We were in a relegation battle then yeah. at that point as well. So I think it, we were playing Aberdeen um, and we had to get a result, which thankfully we got. So obviously that kind of took the focus away a bit for the cup final. 
And then we had a, I think it was maybe only about a week or so to prepare for the cup final. Um, and obviously at that stage, you just want to play the game. I think there was probably a wee bit mentally more added pressure on us because, no disrespect, we were playing Falkirk. Yeah, and expected to win. We were expected to win, you know, and as players, we all we were all aware that we would probably never have a better chance of winning the Scottish Cup. Yeah. And the same would go for Falkirk. The Falkirk players would be would be thinking the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, but we always been the Premier League team and they were still in the, the first division. Um, I think there was a real expectation, whereas I think everybody expected Celtic to beat Falkirk in the semi-final and for us yeah. or Dundee United um, to play Celtic in the final. Um, so the kind of mindset change where I think there was that that can add pressure to to go and win the game, um, which was a cup final anyway. You get into the cup final, no matter who you were playing, want to win it. Yeah. Um, but there's, I think there was a real expectation that we would win it, um, and I think a lot of people believing that you know, Kamarnock could go years and years without having an opportunity like this again. So um, that week went in quick. They build up to the game. I think I remember we had the the choice either. Staying in um, our own beds that night or going to a hotel and staying overnight in a hotel. And I think uh, I stayed overnight in a hotel. Um, and then well, we all met for the bus and drove into the... The game was obviously at Ibrox because Hamden yeah. was getting renovated at that point. So yeah. just driving up. I think the, the kind of magnitude of the, the day just hit us as we were coming into Ibrox because it was just... It was obviously... Named the family final because it was, you know, Falkirk and Kilmarnock, none of the old firm. Um, but as soon as we got close to, to the stadium, it was just a, just a sea of blue and white everywhere. Um, the bus trying to get through it and that kind of hit home, you know, how important it was to, to the town of Kilmarnock and the fans. I guess there was a, a fair party after that as well, Mark, with a, a fair celebration? Um, there was, but I think there was... I think with the build-up and everything, you're just kind of fairly... bit drained after it. bit drained and exhausted. It was obviously quite a warm May day. And I remember I got picked for the drug test myself and uh, with Tom Brown. And yeah. they took the, picked two random players for each team. and So we held the bus up for, for a <laughs> bit to provide a urine sample. Because yeah. um, there was obviously there was a, a bus parade at Kilmarnock after yeah. the game. Um, so we held the bus up a bit. And I can remember going on the bus and... There was um, there was no there was only one spare seat, so I've sat next to this guy and didn't know who he was. The bus was full, yeah. kind of blathering away, and I can remember I hated um, changing my boots and the new boots. So I actually played in cup the cup final with holes in my boots, I had holes <laughs> in my toes because I thought I'm not changing my boots now and breaking in new boots. And I can remember blathering away and the guy's asking me about the game and I'm telling him, oh, it was great, and telling him about my boots. And he says, that came with me, I had, to get you, I had to give you a pair of boots. And I'm like, sorry, you need to excuse my ignorance. Who are you? And he, it was Sir Tom Hunter. No um, aye, so he was obviously a sponsor. He had owned the sports division at that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that was uh, the bus back to Kilmarnock. We did the, the kind of bus parade. We had a party, but I can remember just being, as the nights went on, I was just, just drained, exhausted. Yeah. Aye, probably Dylan partied all night, right? You know, no <laughs> Aye, no doubt. Uh, see, the following season, of course, um, uh, it was you'd play in Europe against the likes of Shelburne and um, Nice would put you out. Can you what's your memories of uh, playing in Europe, Mark? Um, 
Was it an enjoyable yeah, experience? Yeah, it was. Uh, nice at a top side, of course, isn't it? Yeah, I think. I think obviously we'd been so long since Kilmarnock had been in Europe, and obviously for, for the players it was it was a first for for many of us. Yeah, uh, I think we might have drew Shelburne. Yeah, it was Shelburne at first, the start. Yeah, yeah, and I think again, in one hand, it was a good draw because you're expected again that expectations an Irish team would be stronger and we'd, and we'd go through. Um, but there's also that wee bit of pressure that comes with that as well. I remember, I don't think we played particularly well and I think they maybe took the lead yeah. in the first game at Rugby Park and I think Paul Wright maybe got two goals one a really late goal to get as a, a one I think we Pat Nevin slipped him in for one of the goals as well a wee reverse pass um, they were well organised and played well and we probably didn't play as, as well as we could um, and then obviously the return leg I think Jimmy McIntyre scored it was a, yeah. a nice goal good goal and then I think we gave away a a really poor goal, I think. Big Drago kind of played a the goalie played a just a not a square pass, but a forward pass, just into the Shelburne player, and and he scored for that. Um, and we kind of we managed to see the game out, which we then get Nice. So I think they'd get relegated actually for the top flight, mm-hmm. but they were still a they'd still some decent players, and we obviously went over, and I think we were there maybe an hour, an hour and a half for kickoff, and just going out onto the pitch and I can remember it was, it was I don't know if it was an ultras but they had a really kind of section real hostile partisan support letting flares off really noisy and I thought wow this is this is great great atmosphere and it was it was their old niece obviously they got a new stadium for the World Cup so that was their old stadium yeah. but it was a great atmosphere and they had some decent players they had a decent mid, few decent players midfield player and the right winger was really quick Um Again, probably didn't do ourselves justice. Yeah. In that game, I think they beat us three-one. Paul Wright scored with a penalty to give us a wee bit of hope. I think they scored with three headers. Um, but they were certainly the, the the better team that night. Yeah. A couple of years later, you play uh, Kaiser's Lauten and uh, the likes of George KF and all that playing for them. Can you, was that like a, a footballing lesson, Mark? What, what was that like to play that mob? I know. Again. Um, Graves, it's a great stadium, and again, just the professionalism. I think we to be there with, with the European rules. You know, I think you're there about an hour and a half for kickoff. And I can remember walking into the, the stadium and this massive warm up area, and it was about an hour and a half before kickoff. And uh, Joe was actually had his kit on, training kit on, and he was stretching and. You're saying, wow, you know, just a World Cup one. It just yeah. shows you that his professionalism, you know, but they had some top players. But I think I think that game had a few chances actually to take the lead. But I think over the two legs, they were uh, they were too strong. Yeah, uh, there, were, there, were, there were some side. Um, see, touching on the 97 98 season, of course, Rangers were going for, for 10 in a row, and yeah. uh, the famous Sally Mitchell goal that sort of put the kibosh in that. Can you remember much about that game? And, um, yeah. It's funny, actual games, I don't remember a great Aye. deal about what I remember is kind of funny stories <laughs> about the games. Um, yeah, I, I think in terms of the result, obviously it was, I think that got us, got us into Europe, that was the main yeah. thing. Um, and I think as you touched on, um, obviously Rangers were going for, for 10 in a row and there was only a few games left, so I think we really dented their hopes of 10 in a row and I think um, obviously, we were over the moon and delighted that you know we could come on like into Europe. That was a priority. But I think we, I think that day there was a few set, 
boys in our team that grew up as Celtic fans as well. I'm thinking big big Jim Lachlan off the top of my head. So yeah. there was probably a kind of double celebration for some of them. Um, kind of Denton Rangers hopes for, for, for 10 in a row. <laughs> but the kind of funny story that, that really kind of springs to mind was, again, back then there were so many characters, even even some of the referees were great characters. And I think yeah. uh, Willie Young and Bobby Tate. And Bobby Tate was a referee that day. Uh-huh. And uh, there was no secret that Bobby Tate was a he was a big Rangers fan. Yeah. Um, and actually, latterly after that, when when uh, Durante and Coiste came to Rugby Park, Bobby Tate used to come in and a chat with him and visit us. So Bobby was great. He was really funny, big character. Um, but as I say, no secret, he was a Rangers fan. And yeah. he was retiring at the end of the season. So it actually, it was his last game and they gave him Rangers, uh, Ibrox, going for 10 in a row. Bobby was a big Rangers fan. So this story had made the front page of the, the newspaper that morning. <laughs> so I can, I can remember, I can remember Bobby coming in to check the studs before the game. And I used to always have a bit of banter with him in games. And he turned to me and he said, Mavis, did you read the newspaper this morning? <laughs> and I says, as a matter of fact, I did, Bobby. I says, you're going to be fair today? And he just did a wee smug smile on his face. So I can remember Ali Mitchell. Ali Mitchell obviously scored and we're 1-0 Aye. up. And um, behind the two goals at Ibrox, had the two clocks yeah. with the time on them. So... It got to the 90 minutes and the two clocks have went off, so they've obviously switched the two clocks off. Yeah. So as a player, periodically you're looking up, so I knew, I'm thinking, it's time up, we're in the injury time, yeah. can't it be long to go. So I'm chasing Bobby Tate and I'm shouting, Ho Tate, <laughs> it's time up, blow your whistle. The game's finished and he's ignoring me and I'm shouting, Ho Tate, blow your whistle. Games, it's for time up. He's ignoring me, so for about the third time, I'm shouting, Tate, blow your whistle, it's time up. And he turned around to me and said, Mavis, I told you, did you not read the newspaper this morning? We're playing at the Rangers score. And that was that, you know, and you couldn't help but laugh at that. But in actual fact, I think they had a good opportunity. It could have been a penalty. McCoy's got brought down and they never gave it. Aye. So <laughs> that that's, believe it or not, that's what I remember most about that game yeah. at Ibrox. Bobby no, Tate. Class. Uh, that, that's great. You, you like that about a banter with the referees. You don't seem to get that now. With you, you look at the game now, and you uh, you don't really see that between the referees and players. Know what I mean? But it's good that you can sort of have a noise up with them. It's it's, it's something that should be part of the game. I think. Um, you joined. Oh, no, Red- I yeah, you joined Redden then, Mark. What 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 was the what was the thinking behind that? Was it again just Tommy gives you gives you a call when to come down there? Uh, I had to. I'd been at Kamama quite a few years um, at that point, Derek, and my contract was up. I never made any real kind of money in the game. I never got a signing on fee in my career. Yeah. And I can remember my contract was up and I knew there was money coming into the league and Kamama could start spending a bit of money and I knew we'd sign players like Co-Card, etc. Yeah. Um, and I knew, I'd heard that Durant and McCoy were coming in. So I knew they'd be coming in for decent money. And they said it was about £400 a week at the time. And I can remember in a week a chat with, with Pat Nevin. He said, Mark, the wages are going to go up. So I can remember speaking to the chief executive, who I think was uh, Ian Welsh at the time. They brought in a chief executive. Yeah. Um, and I think I asked for a, asked for a bit of a rise. 
I wasn't looking to get paid anywhere near the money that the players I'd mentioned were getting paid, yeah. but I was looking for a bit of a rise. So I think I asked for about £800 a week, yeah. and he wouldn't give me it. Um, and I knew there was people in a lot more money, and I'd never made a penny, and I thought... I was playing my best football in my career at that point, yeah. and I thought, I want to my family to get the best deal I can get. And yeah. I'd won a few play of the years for the last few years at Kilmarnock, and I thought, do you know, I, I deserve a wee bit more money. So he wouldn't give me, he wouldn't budge on it, and Tams phoned me up. And at that point, he was at Red, and he'd bring, he was bringing in quite a few Scottish boys. Yeah. And he says, I can't believe Kilmarnock are not giving you a contract he says um, come down and speak to me so he actually flew me down the day after the Rangers game at Ibrox that we were discussing there um, and I went down and to be honest I never really wanted to leave Kilmarnock yeah. um, but anyway Tam was very persuasive so I never signed any contract but I shook uh, his hand I would, I would come down and I'd come back up the road and Bill Costley was the chairman at the time at Kilmarnock and um, I still went on. I think we played Tibbs the last game. And um, I had been honest with Bobby all the way through. Um, and then I got a phone call for, for Bill Costley. And he said, Mark, what's happening? And I explained to him. And he said, listen, come and meet me and we'll sort something out. And I said, Chairman Akani. I said, I've shook hands with Tam. He said, have you signed any contract? Well, I said, no, I've not signed anything. He said, well, come and... I said, no, I said, my word's my word. I said, I've shook yeah. hands. That's his good for me is, is signing a contract. So I never even discussed with him then any further. I think he would probably maybe have gave me a, a wee bit more money. Yeah. And then I went to Reading um, and it just never felt right for me, Derek. I was, yeah. to be honest, I only played about half a dozen games and I was hopeless. Um, <laughs> but I think, I think I was playing, again, I was a kind of old midfield player. And the few games I played, Tam was playing me kind of wide left, left wing, yeah. and I couldn't play. I think there was a lot of kind of, no politics went on, but I think Tam had brought a lot of Scottish players in, um, and they had some decent players there, and he was obviously wanting to put his own kind of mark in the team. Yeah. So, for example, there was a guy, Dan Caskey, midfield player, so he was wanting to build the team around Tam, which I understood. And the guy, Phil Parkinson, who was a manager, yeah. was there at the time. Yeah, he is. So I was kind of replacing Phil, um, and he was a legend. And to be honest, Phil done that holding midfield role as good, if not better than me, you know. So yeah. I was kind of playing wideish, and I didn't really offer the team a great deal there. And I think Tam knew that. So it was only a few months in yet. Um, and he says, what are you thinking? I think he knew himself. And I says, it's not really happening, yeah. Tam. You know, I'm, I'm kind of playing wide left. I'm... No offering the team anything, I'm not going to play well enough because I'm not going to give high fullbacks, I'm not offering anything. And he says, I know I've been a wee bit unfair with you bringing you down and, and playing you there. I said, Listen, he says, There's Motherwell and Kilmarnock's come back in for you again. He says, If you, I said, Kilmarnock, I said, that, That's strange considering they wouldn't give me any, yeah. anywhere near a, a wee bit of a rise, you know. And he said, No, they've come back in and so is Motherwell. Um, so I went and spoke to the two of them. Um, I spoke to Motherwell first, and at the time, I think John Boyle was the chairman, so they were yeah. they were kind of putting big money in. They had John Spencer, Andy Gorham, and that. Yeah. I think we Pat Nevin was the chief executive at the time, and I think it was Pat that was really kind of pushing for me. 
um, to be signed. So Billy Davis was a manager. And I spoke to Willie McLean initially. He discussed the financial side of it. So financially, it would have been a far better deal for me um, to sign my mother, I think. The wages were similar to commandments. I think they offered me a signing on fee, about 40 grand. I never had a signing on fee. And then I spoke to Billy Davis about the playing aspect. And Billy was honest with me. He said, I'll be honest with you, Mark. Um, he says, it's part that's it's pushing for you. He says, I know you're a good pro and I've asked about it. He says, I've got no issues with that. He says, I'm being honest with you, Pat's the kind of driving force for us to sign you. Um, and that wasn't really what I was wanting to hear because yeah. obviously you're wanting, wanting to hear the manager really want you. Yeah. So I had spoke to Bobby after that and my kind of heart was always going back to Kilmarnock anyway. And although financially, I would have been far better off going to Motherwell, um, I decided to go back to Kilmarnock. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, when you went back, you mentioned there they had Durant uh, and McCoy's were there. Um, on the park, I mean, class acts, but off the field, it must have been, they must have livened up the place somewhat, Mark. Oh, it was incredible. Um, I think the, the important thing to mention, Derek, as, as you said, they're on the park. I think both of them came, obviously, had a great career at Rangers and both contributed on the park. Yeah. None more so than Durant, who was, yeah. to be honest, exceptional and took us um, to another level in terms of that creative side and and his performances were, were incredible and, and McCoyst obviously getting a wee bit on but he still really contributed on the pitch yeah. as well with a few goals um, but I mean in the dressing room they were every day you couldn't wait to get into training in the morning because you didn't know what was happening yeah. um, they were brilliant I mean I was still at Redden at the time but the boys tell the story McCoyst just walked in his first day me Paul Wright was the main man you know, and we Paul Wright had a, bad, had a cruciate injury early on, so he used to always go down to the gym and do his leg weights for his for his knee. So he was down doing his leg weights, and McCoy walked in first day. We both of them we school bride boys, you know, yeah. and um, Paul Wright's nickname was Bunyan. So McCoy just walked in and said, "Where's we? Where's we Bunyan? Get changed." And he says, "There is there the number nine peg." So he's just walked up, took all his clothes, and put them in the bin. And uh, started getting changed and hanging his stuff up. And we Bunyans walked in for the gym and Coisty shouted, Hey, wee man, there's a new king in town. And it, it kind of just went through there. You know, it was every day was was a scream. Um, if you could tell, I'll tell you another quick, funny story with, with Jim Walker. just summed my Coist up. He was sharp as a tack. He was late every morning. Every day he was late. And young Jim Walkland, who East End of Glasgow boy, was brilliant, really yeah. great lad, really funny guy. He'd been playing really well, had a few games and had got a new three-year contract. So <clears throat> Bobby was always kind of hard on Jim because he knew he was quite a confident, cocky boy and he was always trying to make sure his, his feet were in the ground. So Jim's got a new three-year contract. So he goes out and buys a Peugeot convertible, brand new motor, <laughs> a private number plate. So he's drove in and... Bobby's found out and had a man and gave him what for in, in the morning. So Big Jim's come out looking really kind of sheepish. Uh, saying, what's going on? He's like, oh, manager's just slaughtered me for buying the motor. Uh, called me Big Time Charlie and that again and just really kind of gave me a real hard time. So just at that point, McCoy's comes in about 15 minutes late. 
comes in, all his life and soul. And what's the banner of the day, boys? He says, what's happening, Mavis? So I've told him about Big Jim. He's like, oh, brilliant. He says, we'll have, have a bit of fun with him this morning. So at that point, Bobby comes in. Back then, we had no training ground, so you used to kind of beg and borrow where you were training. So, yeah. so that day, we were training at some open grass area near Irvine that we didn't really know where it was, but yeah. the coaching staff had went and kind of sourced it. So Bobby's kind of said, we're, we're training at Irvine today. We're just going to convoy of cars, just we'll follow each other to get there. So Coisty's turned around and, and said, Walkie, me, Mavis and Bunyan will travel with you this morning. Um, see the new motor see the new motor's like so Big Jim's still a bit sheepish so he's always late so he's getting his socks and that on and Jim's like come on Coisty hurry up can you be late because I've already got into trouble this morning he's like listen don't worry about it Jim you're with me he says you know because you're with me you can do anything he says you can do anything you're all that it doesn't matter he says it'll be fine Bobby will no bother he says in fact I've got a brilliant idea he says, seeing the way into Irvine, he says, we'll have a wee sweep between us, right? We'll have a wee bet. We'll drive into Irvine. We'll see any random guys. We'll stop the car. And I'll ask them the way to this training field. And we'll see how many guys recognise me. And we'll have a wee sweepstake, see who gets it right. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? I knew he was up to something. And all he was trying to do, Derek, was delays and make us really late for training. But I didn't know what he was, what was going on. So Jim's like, Jim saying, Coisty, I don't know if that's a good idea. They said, no, listen, you'll be fine. So that's what we've done. We've drove into Irvine, stopped a couple of guys, and they're the usual, Harley McCoy's, can I get your autograph? And <laughs> so we're doing this. I eventually say, right, we better go to training. So at this point, we must be about 20, 20, 25 <laughs> minutes late for training. So we get towards where this training area is, and it was really open, and we could see it for, oh, it must have been about, Good quarter of a mile away, you can yeah. see them away. The wee dots training. So I'm sitting in the back with Bunyan McCoy's in the passenger seat. Jim's driving, and he says, "Right, how does this roof go down, Jim? Where's the button?" So he's pressing the buttons. He's put the roof down. He says, "Listen, I've got a great idea." He says, "Jim, you got 120 out of this." And Jim said, "No, no, no." He says, "The guys in the garage told me I have to keep it at 70 mile an hour for the first week." He said, that's a load of rubbish. I reckon you could get at least 110, 100 anyway. And he's like, no, no. He said, well, listen, we've got a great idea. We'll go in the grass area, right? You get a foot to the floor. See if you can get 100 out of it. He says, and we'll drive into the boys. He says, they'll see us coming. It's a big area. He says, there's no loss scatter. He said, we'll do a wee handbrake turn. He says, we'll open the doors, go out the motor, and we'll just join in training. He says, it'll be some laugh. He says, the manager will love it. He says, the boys will love it. He says, it'll be brilliant. I could see Jim, I'm looking at Bunyan, he's looking at me, and the two is putting their seatbelts on, they're thinking this isn't going to end well. So Jim said, no, I don't know, Coist. He says, I'm telling you, he says, it'll be brilliant, get you back in the good books, you're with me, you, can, you know you can get away with me. Jim's like, all right, okay. So he's got a foot to the floor, and he must be, at this point, doing about 80, 90 mile an hour. And it was like, it was as if everything went in slow motion. You could see yeah. everybody's training stop, everybody turn. Look towards us, you know, last minute, everybody scatters. So, Coisty pulls on the handbrake. <laughs> the car spins, nearly actually goes up on its side. <laughs> open, the do- open the doors, and the four ears get out. To this day, it's the angriest I've ever saw Bobby Wilkinson. <laughs> so, he's running over, shouting, Always you, Lachlan. 
and Koisty gets out of the car and says, Gaffer, I told him, you can't do that. You can't do that. So he just stitched him up and Bobby's shouting, that's you, you're fine, two weeks wages, Lachlan, two weeks, and Big Jim's shouting, Koisty told me to do that. And Koisty saying, Gaffer, I told him, you can't do that. Can't get away with that. So every day was like that. It was a scream, Derek, it was brilliant. It really was, so yeah, it was, that's it was great times. Yeah, that's that's absolutely sensational stuff. That we what, what a laugh that must have been. Um, look, you, you played in another final, um, Mark, um, against Celtic, the the League Cup final, where you came on as a sub. Can you remember much about that? Right. Handing, yeah, they were they uh, were some side, weren't they, back then? Ah, uh, they did, did a great side then. Obviously, had, they had Larson, who yeah, who was special player. Matic um, as well, and all that, didn't they? They did. Stuff. I think I changed the game because I came on for Vigarani, who got injured, and I think up to that point he was. He was playing great and Kilmarnock were kind of in the game, you know, <laughs> looking good. But when you've got somebody like Larson in your team, um, I think he actually went on and scored. So, no, they had a... Yeah. They, they had, it was a team full of men back then, you know. They were, uh, they were monsters, they were monsters all the way through, yeah. No, a real physical, strong team with some special players. Yeah. Um, yeah the, 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 your, your, your final season, um, you didn't play that much. Was, 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 did you pick up an injury or what, Mark? Or was it was just getting sort of physical? Because you went to loan for it, went to Airdrie on loan, didn't you, for a wee, a wee spell? Yeah, I did. I had a bad, um, I was, I've been really fortunate in my career, Derek. I've never had an operation in my life. Um, but I did have a real a bad ankle injury where uh, I think it happened at Aberdeen at Pataudry. I had bad ligament damage, so I was out for a, quite a while. Yeah. Um, and I struggled to get myself kind of fit again. And when I did get myself fit, um, Bobby said to me, Listen, I spoke to me in McCall, do you fancy going to Airdrie for four, six weeks to kind of try and get your, your fitness up? And yeah. I think they were going for promotion at the time as well. So um, I was quite happy and enjoyed it. I enjoyed the few, the few weeks there. You know, it was great, a great team spirit as well. and Ian McCall was a character and training was great, really enjoyable. And guys like Owen Coyle there, we Sandy Stewart, so it was great. But then when I came back for that, Jim Jeffries had come in as well. Um, and I kind of knew it was coming to the end for me then, Derek at Kilmarnock. Um, I think I was kind of probably, maybe not physically the player I was before. And the physical aspect, fitness side of it wasn't the biggest, you know, I was... That was a big part of my game. Um, yeah. And I maybe wasn't as strong then. And I knew Jim Jeffries was looking to kind of, obviously kind of build his own side as well. So it was a kind of natural progression towards the, the end of my time then. Um, I, I had no complaints, you know. It was great memories, great times, and played with some great players and, and big characters there. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, when you were at Airdrie, that's that's the season when they went uh, they went bust. Did you, could you, did you sort of sense things behind the scenes, Mark? Or was it... Did it was it something that happened uh, after you left to come back to come on it? Yeah, no, I wasn't really kind of aware of that. Yeah. There, you know, it's, I was only there a few weeks, so I, yeah. I wasn't really kind of part of that. I can't really recall that. Yeah. Um, what I can remember is training at Glasgow Green and kind of, you know, the guys, their own training kit and what have you, um, which was kind of unusual, so... Yeah. I suppose that was a kind of sign that things weren't weren't brilliant there financially, you know. But yeah. um, no, it, it was certainly Ian McCall's training was great and um, some great pros there as well. Yeah. Did you ever get a, a testimonial at Get Kilmarnock when you were there? 
No, I didn't. I think probably because I'd broke. I was there 11, kind of 11 years all in there. Maybe the broken service. I was only maybe away four months. Ah, yeah. um, obviously going to Reading and then I come back again. Um, yeah. But no, I, I, do you know, the money side of the game kind of never bothered me. I never... Yeah. It was about the memories and about playing football. Um, yeah. That was an important thing for me. And, uh, test, uh, I, I wasn't really that fussed anyway, so um, I was just happy to play and enjoy it and the good memories, which yeah. I was fortunate enough to do. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, you'd leave then, you, you joined St Johnston for a couple of years. Billy Stark was the manager there. Was that the sort of the, the reason for, for joining them? Did you have any other offers elsewhere, Mark? Um, no, I can't remember. I think Billy had phoned me quite quickly when I was... Um, away from Coman, I think I was actually maybe still there, but I knew I was leaving, um, yeah. and I'd spoke to Billy. So as soon as as soon as Billy came in for me again, it didn't really matter who the wages were. I was yeah. um, delighted to go and go and play for him. It was probably um, the most disappointed I've been in my career in terms, you know, winning um, the championship to get St Johnson back into the Premier League. Yeah. So I really wanted to do it for. Billy Stark, you know, he was just such a, a guy I respected so much and a uh, really good coach and great guy. So, no, it was a pleasure playing for him for a couple of seasons and up at St. Johnson, enjoyed that. Yeah, and of course, you would get a promotion at St. Mirren when, when you joined them uh, in 2006. Uh, how much do you enjoy your time at, uh, in Paisley, Mark? Brilliant. Great. Yeah. Um, I think it helps when you're winning. Derek as well, but yeah. um, obviously Gus, i played with Gus for about 11 years at Kilmarnock, so I knew him well, and Andy Millen's assistant played with Andy, and um, Andy was a good pal of mine as well, and but Kevin McGowan's a good pal was there, and yeah. some great pros there, great young boys, it was, it, it was just great environment, great atmosphere at the club, I think we only lost about four games the season we get promoted, um, and we had a with Charlie Adam as well, yeah. who gave us that that um, wee bit something different. Um, Charlie gave us that wee bit something different there, you know. So, no, I love my time at St Mirren, and it was a good time to, to finish, kind of in a high way. We won in the league and, and getting promotion, and no, it was a fantastic two years. Yeah, and but see when Charlie, Charlie was there, I'm not too sure if it was... If, was it St Murray when he tried the, the halfway line uh, lob thing? Or was it Ross County? I think at that point, uh, I can't. I think mind. he actually. I think he actually scored for Ross County against St Murray. Ah, uh, yeah, I think it was Ross for County. For the halfway line, uh, and then um, in actual fact, just after it, he had the same effort again. I think just clipped the bar. <laughs> um, no, it's something a wee bit. It's certainly that level, you know, when he was playing for St Murray, he gave us, he gave us a um, something a wee bit different, and then we had. We had great youth and experience, you know. We'd yeah. cut Broadfoot at the time as a young boy yeah. coming through, you know, and we had we had big Mixu up front, you know. Um, we had John Sutton, Chris Sutton's yeah. brother. Um, John Sutton scored a lot of goals at that level, you know. He was yeah. a, a handful. So we had a real good balance to the team with experience and, and youth um, and had a strong team in that. That championship, you know, it was a good, good team. Yeah, of course. After that, you'd you'd, you'd uh, call time in your your career, Mark. Were you, were you upset? Were you disappointed to, to hang the boots up at that stage, or do you feel the time is right? Um, 
Yeah, I kind of knew that I was kind of helping out in the reserves, playing more in the reserves and helping the kids. I was 37. Um, I was coaching the 19s and coaching the reserves at the time. I still had another, I think St. Marmarkeen gave me another year's playing contract, but obviously stay on as a coach. Um, the big thing for me, I loved playing and I knew that was kind of coming to the end. And I had opened a Subway, a sandwich shop, Cold oh, yeah. Bridge and then Bell Cell. Yeah. So I was looking to do that, um, but still stayed in the coaching. Yeah. But when the first when the first opened, Derek, they were it was booming. It was incredibly busy. So in a way, I was kind of forced into retiring and working in the shop to help run the shop because it was yeah. so busy. Um, and I think because I was kind of actually coming to the end of my playing career, it wasn't so hard for me. And I think I touched on as well, going back to that light bulb moment with, with Tam Burns. I think I was probably about 22. Um, I had no regrets because I, I treated every day like a World Cup final. Yeah. So when it came to 37 and kind of naturally um, no playing as much, it kind of felt right for me. And I think the added thing as well was going out in the high with St. Marin winning the league. Yeah. So... Yeah, sad to leave, but um, I was always quite positive, positive with the mindset that, you know, the big things adapting to change in your life. Yeah. Um, and, that, you know, playing football was always going to come to an end at some point, and then you had to kind of adapt to that change. Yeah, so the, the two subways that you had, how long did you did, did you do uh, have them for? Uh, I had them for a few years, Derek. Um, they're, they're sold now, but... Um, the credit crunch came. Ah, so that yeah. was 2006 I retired, and probably a few years later, the credit crunch came. But um, I didn't enjoy working in the shops anyway. I think going from being out in the fresh air and training every day and, and yeah. being in the company, uh, like 30 guys, and the kind of stories I was, you know, nothing wrong with behind the counter, you know, making sandwiches and. But it just wasn't me. Um, I wasn't it? enjoying it. It was a different world. Um, and the credit crunch came as well, which kind of the sales of the, sh- the shop dropped overnight. So it kind of gave me that kind of that kind of boost to go and look for something. Yeah. Um, so cut a long story short, the police were kind of recruiting big at that point. So um, it was actually my next door neighbour at the time, who, who's my pal, was, was in the police an inspector and said well you might enjoy the place because it's something different every day and don't know what you're getting into and I thought oh, I could give that a go so <laughs> I've been in that 11 years Wow so what is it you do with the, the police then Mark? Uh, I'm in a a kind of specialist unit um, yeah. Derek a kind of public protection unit kind of deals yeah. with kind of public protection issues so yeah. I'm kind of in that I can tell you a, a quick funny story about yeah. that as well <laughs> Yeah, please do. Uh, when I when I was in my probation, um, I had we got a call to go and assist. Commander were playing Motherwell at Fir Park, and some drunk Kelly fan had been arrested for some I don't know what he'd done. So we had got a call could we go and assist and convey this guy to Motherwell Police Station and he'd been arrested. So kind of traps up and gets the guy, and I've obviously. I think I'm, I'm 40 at the time, but I've got my car, police cap and everything on, so I'm probably not. The guy the guy was half cut as well. He was well Aye. on. He had a good, good drink in him, so he never recognised me. But when we began to process him at the charge bar, you have to 
to take your cap off. So I took my cap off um, and he's standing beside me and the, the sergeant's asking him questions, his name and stuff. And he kind of looks at me and it kind of turns away and it was a kind of take two. He looks back again huh? at me and he shouts, Mavis Riley. And I'm not saying anything. And the, the sergeant obviously didn't, didn't know I played football, didn't I don't think he was a football yeah. fan, didn't know much about football. So this guy's starting start to shout, I can't believe it. I've just been arrested by Mavis Riley. He says, this is the second best day in my life. He says, after the cup final. So he starts singing, there's only one Mavis Riley to talk to his voice. So the sergeant was getting a wee bit cheesed off. So he, he, he turned to me and he was a bit confused. He didn't know what was going on. He just, I think he just thought this guy was bonkers. So he says, listen, you're going to charge this guy and then put him in the cell. So he's like, give me your autograph, give me your autograph. I said, listen, he says, I'll give you an autograph. I said, but can, you need to be quiet for a wee minute. I need to charge you. I said, you need to listen to me. And then you, you, you can reply to that if you want. So I kind of read the charge out to him. And I says, have you got a reply? And he breaks into a song. There's only one Mavis Riley. So I had to put that in, in my notebook because he's replied to the charge. There's only one Mavis Riley. Thankfully, it didn't go to court. <laughs> That's class. That's brilliant, man. That's superb. And then you, you, you bring up to the, the modern day, Mark. You're doing um, a fundraising challenge just now. I mean, it's, it's I've been seeing the, the the videos on social media for your ex ex teammates and what have you. It's absolutely sensational stuff. Tell us a wee bit about that. Yeah, um, initially my daughter's got a condition called Rett syndrome, um, Derek. So I've been raising kind of funds for the charity Reverse Rates since 2012, done various things like Ironmans and what have you. Um, and I decided to do the Marathon Disable, which is a it's a self-sufficient multi-day um, ultra event in the Sahara Desert. Um, but it kept getting postponed due to COVID. So I started a Just Giving page. So I decided it would be a good idea to maybe try and do an ultra run around the, the grounds for the teams I played for. So I'm doing over 100 miles on the 22nd of May, um, starting at St. Johnston, McDermott Park, running to Motherwell Park, on to St. Marin, and then finishing at Kilmarnock. So home to do it in under 30 hours. So, wow. yeah, it'll be a tough one. Have you, have you, it, have you been, I guess you've been training quite a fair bit for this then, because it's, it's slightly yeah. unusual. <laughs> Yeah, I've been training for probably over a year um, yeah. for it. So, yeah, kind of training plan kind of around my, my, kind of my family life, my work and, and my daughter who, you know, she's 24-7 care. So yeah. um, my training plan kind of revolves around all that. And it's been quite quite difficult, you know, because quite a lot of weeks I've been doing over 100 miles. Yeah. So I'm kind of getting up at five in the morning running before work and then running when I come in. Yeah. maybe seven miles, give or take, and then the same in the evening, and then at the weekends, try to get some bigger miles in. So, yeah, it's been it's been kind of full on and been a, a tough year, yeah. training-wise. Yeah, this this run, then, you said it take you about 30 hours. What, are you getting a chance to, to, to sleep at any point then, or is it just a sort of an endurance thing? I don't plan in, in, in sleeping, no. Yeah. Um, I think, obviously... There's quite a lot of kind of planning going in there. I need to kind of yeah. watch my heart rate and keep my heart rate low so that I don't get in my anaerobic zone too yeah. much. So I will, at points, maybe need to slow down and walk and have a have a rest. I'll need to be able to take on quite a lot of fuel, food, 
yeah. to kind of get me through it. Um, I don't plan on sleeping. No, there might be there might be periods where I might have to rest for for 15, 20 minutes or so. But um, oh. I'll just need to see how it goes. I just need to see how my body reacts once I get between the fifty and hundred miles. Yeah, and what have you made of the the, the wee videos that, that likes of McCoy's Duran and all other players that you played with are, are sending you markets? It's, it's uh, it's it must be quite uplifting seeing all that sort of stuff. No, the the, the guys have been absolutely brilliant. The support that you know I've had um, for my challenge has been has been incredible. Um, and all my old teammates and um, even the odd kind of celebrity as well, like Ben Johnson for Biffy Clyro and Martin Combs and the actor. Wow. So it's the the videos have been have been incredible, tremendous. Um, no, kind of. Really humbled by really, the support. It's been fantastic. Yeah, and you've got a Just Given page as well. Is that is that right that people can go and make a donation? Yeah, it's um, it's Just Given fundraising. It's just my name, Mark Riley, and number twelve after it, and, yeah. and you'll be able to donate through that. Yeah, so yeah. all good. Yeah, we wish you all the best with that, Mark. We'll keep a, keep an eye out for it. So uh, yeah, good luck with that. And it's it's been great having you on, Mark. Thank you very much for. For uh, talking us through your career, it's been it's been brilliant to listen to. No, thanks for having me, Derek. Enjoyed that. That was episode 102 of the Talking Football Podcast with Mark Riley. As ever, I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, if you want to listen to any previous episodes, you can catch them all on pretty much all podcast platforms and also on the website, talkingfitball.co.uk. We'll also find a whole load of great content and articles on there. Be sure to check out and subscribe to the Talking Fitball YouTube page and also on Facebook and Twitter where you can follow us at Talking underscore football. Hope you can join me again next week, but until then, keep safe and bye for now.